This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. In Greek mythology, there is a myth about a young man named Narcissus. And the myth tells us that uh, he was very self-absorbed, uh, very impressed with himself. And so he was led to a reflecting pond. And when he looked at that pond, he was so amazed at his own beauty that he was fixated for eternity and he died eventually. So now we call it today something called narcissism. In our society, that is when everything is about us. Everything is, revolves around self-promotion. In the late 80s, you may remember some of you, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, uh, had a ministry called PTL, and that became a scandalous ministry. And there was a guy named Richard Dorch who was the president of PTL, and so he uh, suffered the consequences of that Ponzi scheme and, and did some jail time. And in the interviews regarding that time era, something that Richard Dorch said that you've probably heard in other venues too. He said, the mistake we made was we began to believe our own press. We began to believe our own press. Now it's 25 years later, and through the magic of Facebook and Twitter and blogs, uh, we're writing our own press now. And we're self-promoting. And the passage we're going to look at today, Jesus does the opposite. And he demonstrates to us a servant spirit, a humility that we would all be good. It would be well for all of us to adopt that in any area of our life. Let's go to Mark chapter 7. And we're going to be in verse 31. This is the last Sunday. I'll be in Mark for a few weeks. Next week's Father's Day. And then after that, we're going to uh, do some other series. And on Wednesday night, we'll continue our journey as we're looking forward to finishing the book of Mark sometime in 2012. Uh, just to kind of review what happened, uh, uh, Jesus dealt with the issue of washing of the hands. And then last Sunday, we talked about the fact that uh, Jesus dealt with uh, foods and declared all foods clean because what he wanted the people that day to do and wants us to do also is to not be focused just on outward actions, but to be focused on the heart. After that, we talked about Wednesday. He left and he went up to Lebanon to the city of Tyre. And there a Phoenician woman encountered him. And she said an amazing statement. He he tested her faith and said, I've just come for the Jewish people. And she said, but Jesus, even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. And so he healed her demon-possessed daughter. So now we pick up the story in verse 31. And the story we're going to look at this morning is one of two stories that are unique to Mark. Mark gives two miracles that Matthew and Luke and John don't refer to. And the other one will be later on in chapter 8. But today we'll look at this unique miracle starting in verse 31 of Mark 7. It says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. And there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged him to place his hand on the man. I want you to notice that. They begged him specifically to do it a certain way. Place his hand on the man. And after he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers 
into the man's ears. And this is just unusual. This is a different type of deal. He, he put his fingers in the man's ear. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. So evidently he spit on his hand. The man put out his tongue and he touched the man's tongue with his spittle, his spit. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be open. This was an Aramaic term and about five times in the book of Mark, Mark used uh, the Aramaic term just to keep authenticity. And so now he was explaining to the Roman people that he was writing to what that meant. That this, the man's ear, ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. And Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so the more they kept talking about it. And people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The title of my teaching today is All Things Well. Some of your versions of the Bible says that. But I love that phrase there. He does everything well. He does all things well. And... What I want you to understand today is that Jesus does all things well for all people. Jesus doesn't favor some people over others. He doesn't bless some people and not bless others. Jesus does all things well. And so he is going to connect with you individually. Jesus is going to connect with you because you have a distinct personality that he made and you have a distinct way about you. You have a a certain characteristics that Jesus made and he's going to minister to you and give you opportunities at just the right time because he does all things well. One of the lies that we can believe is he does things well for some people, not for others. No, we're going to see in the story today. That Jesus truly does all things well. Six years ago, I started a church in Gallatin. I've been here three years. And we were at Guild Elementary School. And at the end of one of the services, I, I did do what I customarily do now. I spoke the blessing over the people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I went to the back door and people were filing out. And I was greeting them like I do many of you on Sundays and learning names and saying hello and in that line, we, we still had ahead of us tear down. We had to fold chairs and put up the sound system and do all types of things when you use a temporary facility. But while we were in that line, uh, something kind of different happened. Uh, someone said, one of, the, one of the gentlemen said, Pastor A. He's the only one that's ever called me Pastor A. But, so don't start calling me Pastor A. Aaron is fine. Pastor A, he said, what are you doing after church? Well, that was probably a loaded question, but I said, well, well, nothing. And so he asked me something really unusual. He said, can you help me move after church? And so I said, sure. You know, because when you're pastoring a hundred people, you don't want to kick anybody off. I mean, you want to be that servant. So it was, it was an unusual question. Now there were dozens of reasons why I could have said no, maybe I should have said no. But, but one of the things in leadership that you'll find is sometimes, and this often happens to me being in the ministry, it's just easier to do something than to explain why you can't or shouldn't or prefer not to 
Just easier to say, okay, I'll do it. So all the time, you know, uh, that's happening. You know, that particular afternoon, Beth asked, well, where are we going to lunch? And I said, wherever you want to go, I'm going to go move somebody. And all the time, you know, she'll ask me, like, why are you going there? Or why are you meeting with them? Or why have you decided this? And I mean, the answer a lot of times is just because I was asked. I mean, just I was asked. And, you know, as time goes on and God blesses our church, I get asked a little less odd things now. That's why I have, uh, you know, we're a mid-sized church, but I have great compassion for pastors of smaller churches because people just ask them to do anything all the time. Uh, but part of leadership sometimes is just saying, OK, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, you know, and most of you, I've told you, I'll meet with any of you who want to meet or whatever the case is, as long as it works in our schedule and things of that nature. Well, th- this is really interesting passage here because you kind of get the feeling Jesus did something just because he was asked. Because if you remember earlier, Jesus, in just a miracle previously, Jesus spoke. And he, and he spoke both to Jairus' daughter and said, she's healed. And then he spoke to the Phoenician woman and said, your daughter's healed now. So even though it was customary to think well, you have to lay hands on people for them to be healed, Jesus proved that he has power. It's not a formula. You know, we do that in the spiritual life. Something happens one way, and then we think it's a formula. So the people said, look, look at verse uh, 34 with me again. Uh, excuse me, uh, I'm sorry, verse, uh, uh, hold on one second, verse 30, excuse me, 32. It says, there are some people brought him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on them. So, so why did Jesus... Why did Jesus place his hand on them instead of just speaking? Well, there, there's, we don't really know all the reasons, but I'm going to suggest a, a few things today. First thing I want you to write down is this. Jesus responded. He just kind of said, okay. I mean, I mean, maybe Jesus was just a nice guy. And he said, you want me to lay hands on him? Okay, I'll lay hands on him. That's not a problem. I'm just going to take him aside. And I'm going to lay hands on him and I'm going to do what you said. He ended up now. The interesting thing about it, the healing didn't happen when he laid hands on him. The healing happened when he spoke. Right. But he responded to the people. They said, Jesus, will you lay hands on him? And he said, OK, I'll take him aside and I'm going to lay hands on him. Uh, when, when I was a student, I was a pretty good student. And I did well at writing, uh, and I did well at speaking, which hopefully is helping me this morning. I didn't mind answering questions in class or giving a speech. But the one thing I was very poor in is taking tests, especially uh, multiple choice tests. In fact, uh, when the election cycle comes around, I remember specifically when Bush and Gore, when they were uh, competing for the presidency, that people released their SAT scores. And I thought, wow, I can never be president now because that is a deep, dark secret in my heart. You will never know my SAT score. So I'm very embarrassed by it. And I, and I consider myself a bright person. And uh, again, I can read well, I can speak well, but just the, you know, A, B, C or none of the above. That just didn't work out for me. And it's true that we all excel at different things. In fact, we have different pathways of learning. 
And Deborah Jackson, uh, if you really want to talk to someone who's really passionate about this, she is. Uh, she's, she's one of our board members, and she used to be a children's minister, and she would always talk to me at a previous church. She would be like, you know, what is the pathway of the kids? I want to do multi-sensory opportunities for them because not everyone learns the same way. And I think in the spiritual life, it's like that also. Um, that's why there's so many variety of churches. I, I know uh, some people are drawn to um, traditional churches and they love the richness of liturgy. I love the richness of liturgy. I wish we could do more of that here. I might do more of that here. So when you guys are ready. Uh, other people are just drawn towards real emotional things and they want to have a, an experience. I want to experience God during the one and a half hour or one hour and 15 minute time slot. And let's experience God right there. And that's a good thing. I like it when that happens. But other people are hearing God more intellectually. They're, they're like, I just want a deep teaching. You know, give me someone deep. Give me the Greek. Give me the Hebrew. Give me the history. And none of those things are wrong. And none of those things are right. God moves in different ways. And, and I hope we're, we're creating a, a balanced approach to all of that. Uh, balance is, everyone thinks they're balanced. So that's just where you decide to set your extremes. But one of the things that, that I, I think that's really interesting about this passage, and it's the second thing that I want you to write down, is that Jesus prepared. Jesus prepared. And he prepared the man who was going to be healed. And he prepared him individually. Now, you need to understand that uh, if this man had not, uh, was not able to hear, maybe for life, maybe for many years. And obviously, when you don't hear, you don't speak correctly. You don't enunciate clearly. You've been around someone who's had hearing problems, and, and many of them struggle uh, with with pronunciating the words right because they can't hear right. And I don't know the history of sign language. So I don't know what type of sign language they had in the first century. I do know this is that I doubt that they had special programs uh, to identify, uh, you know, people who needed sign language in preschool and to teach them. I, I just don't think there was that kind of care. The American Disability Act had not come to Jerusalem in the first century. So Jesus needed to prepare this man. So let's think about what happened here. So he took the man. The man wasn't able, we can assume, to, to hear and probably translate and understand language. So Jesus touched his ears. And then Jesus spit on his fingers and said, put out your tongue. And he put his tongue out. Maybe it was a form of sign language. And he was building the faith of the man. And he was saying, I'm going to touch you. I'm going to touch your ears and I'm going to touch your mouth and you're no longer going to be deaf and you're no longer going to be unable to speak. And the man's faith was built. He was communicated to and his faith was built at the same time. Why? Because a good teacher prepares their students individually. Now, some of you, I, I respect teachers so much. My mom was a teacher. My sister was a teacher. We come from a family of teachers. I respect teachers so much. A, te- a great teacher. My, my, sons, my sons and daughter have great teachers that they, they individualize as much as they can. We have parent-teacher conference to find out, yes, there is a curriculum for the whole group, but 
We need to concentrate on this area with your child. And Jesus didn't use this man for self-promotion. He took him aside and he touched his ears and he spit on his tongue and he built his faith. As if to say, I am getting ready to heal you. But you see, the healing didn't come from the touch. It could have come from the touch. The healing came when he spoke. When he spoke, that's when the healing came. Now, another reason for this, and this is really amazing. Jesus is our healer. That's his name. That's in the nature of who he is. God, he is God. Fully man and fully God. And we know this is that Jehovah Jireh is a God who heals us. Excuse me, Jehovah Rapha is a God who heals us. Jesus was called the great physician. Jesus demonstrated that he had power over disease. He had power over sickness. And now we even understand something that's even, even um, I don't know, just, just beautiful to see that if Jesus himself was healing, which he is, we now know out of contemporary science that in our saliva contains our very DNA so that they'll take a DNA test from our mouth. And so when Jesus spit on his hand and he put it on the tongue, it was as if he was saying the essence of who I am is going to heal you. You see, it's, it's the touch of Jesus. It's the spiritual divine DNA That he was a sinless man because he was God, the only one who could be sinless. And and within him uh, resides the healing power, the authority over sickness, the authority over disease. And so he touches and he speaks and he speaks healing and healing comes. But something really, really curious happens right before the healing takes place. Look at verse 34 with me. In verse 34, he looked up to heaven, and look at this phrase, with a deep sigh. With a deep sigh, he said the Aramaic term, which means be opened. Now, I just found that verse just to be so insightful, but at the same time mysterious. Write this down, the third thing, Jesus sighed. Jesus sighed. What are we doing when we sigh? When we're tired sometimes? When we're frustrated, we'll sigh. When we're weary, we'll, we'll sigh. And for whatever reason, Jesus looked at this man and he just sighed. You see, there's times when verbal words just won't truly communicate. And so we communicate non-verbally. And many times we just communicate with a sigh of exasperation. Now, I'm one of the only people I know that I still watch the nightly news every night. Maybe the only person I know under the age of 50 who does that. Uh, But with Brian Williams on NBC, I like watching the news. And this week, just this week, the stories just are indescribable. The Casey Anthony case. Sigh. I mean, just, are you kidding? There's nothing to say. The way the Syrian government is oppressing their people and slaughtering their people. I watch that. Just sigh. One of our political leaders sending lewd photographs to women that are not his wife over the Internet. 
nothing to say. Speechless. But the sigh communicates so much. So here it is, Jesus in verse 34, standing before this man who couldn't hear. He couldn't speak. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, be opened. In that sigh, what was he thinking? We don't know. What was going through? We don't know for sure, but I can see him looking at, at this man and being tired of walking canes and bandages that cover unfocused eyes. I can see him looking at Someone who represented the outcast of society and the marginalized where some were in who were healthy and wealthy and popular. But the marginalized of society who were sick and handicapped were outcast and they didn't even belong in the city. And he probably just sighed out of frustration. But I know that he sighed because of sin, because you and I and the people that he ministered to in that first century, his creation His sons and daughters had been marked by sin ever since it entered the world through Adam and Eve. And this world is tired and worn out. And so we sigh. Maybe a great way to understand what a sigh means is to look at a couple of other places where that term is used in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, it says, not only so... But we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit, now look at this term, groan inwardly. That's the same exact term used in Mark 7 for sigh. We just, man, as we eagerly wait for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see, once you start knowing Jesus more. And knowing the heart of God and realizing that the world we live in is not as it should be. The world we exist in is not, is not functioning as God designed. There is something within us that looks forward to a day where there will be no more sin, no more disease, no more injustice, no more abuse. There'll be no more sorrow. And we look forward to a day because we know that it's not just about this life. I mean, as God's people, we're here to bring peace and love and life. But inwardly, we groan, we sigh, and we say, God, this is not the way it should be. There's something within me that realizes that that this world is not what it's all about. That that I am sighing, I am groaning inwardly. That's not the the only place that that word is used in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Meanwhile, we groan. There, again, the same word used for sigh. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. We sigh and we say, God, there has to be something more than this life. God, there has to be something that is better. And so in the midst of sin and darkness, a light comes. The light is Jesus Christ. And this is what happens right down the fourth thing is Jesus perfected. Jesus perfected. And you see, wherever Jesus begins to touch in this world, whoever he touches, whatever he touches, wherever the reign of Jesus is established, perfection comes to an imperfect world. That's why we want the spirit of Jesus to be released through us. We want the fruit of the Holy Spirit to flow through us because Jesus perfects whatever Jesus touches. He makes whole and he makes real. Look at verse 35 with me. 
says, at this, when he spoke, be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosed. And he began to speak plainly. There's several things happening. It's the miracle. It's a miracle of healing in the ears. Now, the man was able to hear. When Jesus spoke, he was able to hear clearly. But there was a second miracle also. He was able to speak plainly. Which if, if you've ever worked with or been around anyone with hearing problems, you know that would be an impossibility without God. See, with God, there was no speech therapy. No special classes. In this case, there wasn't a process. It was instant healing from the Lord. It was at the, at the voice of the Lord. He began to not only hear clearly, he'd be able, he was able to speak clearly. The same God who had touched his ears, the same God who had spit on his tongue, now spoke to him and healing came because he perfected things. That's the work of Jesus. Can I just tell you that Jesus wants to perfect things in your life? Perfection doesn't come through self-discipline, even though self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't start with self-discipline. Self-discipline or self-control is an outflow of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And Jesus wants to perfect things in your life. As you submit things to him, as you give him control, as you let him touch you, as you let him speak to you, he can go to those places that need healing. And he can say, he can say, be opened. Those areas in your life that are deaf. Those areas in your life that where you can't hear and where you can't speak. He can speak healing. And he wants to do that. Here's the last thing that I want you to write down. Is he amazed? Jesus amazed. Look at verse 36. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. So that's that humility that I referred to at the beginning of the service. Now, in verse 37, let's look there. And he said, people were overwhelmed with amazement. You know, we don't need just this familiar Jesus that's really culturally safe and that we can categorize and we can include in our life when we want to. When we realize he is God and he is supreme and he should be in control of everything, we're overwhelmed with amazement. And he has done everything well. That's what the scripture says. He's done everything well. He's done all things well. And then they go on. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This was significant because they were acknowledging Jesus was more than a prophet. He was more than a great teacher. He was more than just a nice guy who who did what they said. He was God himself, the Messiah, the son of God in the flesh. And that was very clear. Why? Because Isaiah chapter Isaiah chapter thirty five predicted and prophesied this. This is Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. It says, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And so now in verse 37, when they said, they said, he's amazing. He even makes the deaf hear. And the mute speak. He is God. 
He's in control. He is Lord. He is Lord of all things. He does all things well. Now, one of the things that I teach on a lot is the fact that Jesus moves in community. Because sometimes we we emphasize individuality too much in our Western culture. He moves within a community. But I do want to talk to you about you individually. Because the question is this. Has Jesus touched your ears? And has Jesus spit on your tongue? They say, well, no, Aaron. But I'm going to say he has. Yeah, he might not have done that specific thing, but he's come to you individually. And he's come to you individually and he's prepared you. And he's responded to your needs. And in the middle of the sigh that he has for the world, he's divinely touched you. He touched your ears. He spit on your mouth and spoken over you. You're like, Jesus has never done. How has he done that to me? It's, he did it through that song that you heard that changed you. He did it through that particular sermon or that special service. He did it through that phone conversation that changed your life. He did it through that special offer that gave you insight. He's touched your ears and he spit on your tongue when, when there was a passage in your Bible study that was just part of your rhythm, but it became life to you. And he thought, God is speaking to me. On that day that you were encouraged and somebody came and spoke into your life, that's how Jesus touched your ears. He spit on your tongue. He spoke over you. He loves you. He loves you. And because Jesus loves you, Jesus is responding to you. Not because he has to, but because of his grace and his love. And Jesus is preparing you. And Jesus, Jesus wants to amaze you. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father. Lord, you chose to use Mark to tell us this story. These 2,000 years later. I'm so glad, Holy Spirit, that you knew. You knew we needed to hear it this morning. God, as you sighed. Oh, we sang that song earlier. Lord, I'm amazed by you. Boy, the Holy Spirit just put that all together. I didn't even really know Jonathan was going to be leading that song. Jesus amazed. And that's where God wants to take us here. He wants to take us here. Jesus-centered, Jesus-focused. Jesus doesn't need to be familiar to us. Jesus doesn't need to be this compartmentalized person that is with us on Sundays and with us in our quiet time, but is not involved in our life at other times. He's here. He's revealing himself. He's here to make. He came to the people and he responded to them. It's a touch the man. So he responded. But as he responded to them, he prepared the man for healing. And then past the sigh, he spoke He perfected the man. And when the man was perfected, they were amazed because only Jesus could do that work. So here's the question I have for you. Has Jesus ever come to you and touched your ears and put his saliva on your mouth? Well, you know, at first, when you ask that question, you're like, no. But I'm going to suggest to you that he has. 
because he's responded to you. And he's come to you personally and he's prepared you. And he's communicated with you right where you're at. So how has Jesus touched your ears? How has Jesus touched your tongue? Well, he did it through that song that moved you. And he did it through that sermon that inspired you. And he did it through that special service. And Jesus touched your ears and he touched your tongue through that phone conversation. Through that word of encouragement. Jesus touched your ear and he touched your tongue through that trial and that hard season. Jesus touched your ear and he touched your tongue through an encouraging friend, through a sunset or a view of the mountains that made you realize his plan for you. Through that author who just wrote something that made him more alive to you. Through that passage in the scripture, you're, you're, reading, your, you're, you're reading your Bible study and it's just it's part of your rhythm, it's part of your weekly routine and all of a sudden, whoa, that scripture's for me. That passage is for me. That's Jesus coming down and touching your ears and touching your tongue. He's coming. He's responding to you. He's preparing you. And he's going to amaze you. He's going to amaze you. So that you can, with the people, say he does everything well. He does all things well. Let's not be bitter at our Jesus. Let's not question our Jesus. But instead, let's realize He does all things well in our lives. I want you to reflect on that. Mountain maker Ocean tamer
Lord, we we thank you to have created us, created us well. You are doing all things well in our lives. One of the things that the Lord spoke in our first service, and I feel like he wants to repeat it to those of you listening, is that in the area of your siblings, like your physical, natural brother or sister, some of us have compared ourselves to them, and we thought, God, you did really good for them, but not as well for me. Uh, and look at the opportunity you gave them, but not for me. Look at the talent you gave them, but not for me. God wants to heal you of that right now. He's saying, I've done all things well, all things well for you. Your story is unique. Your story is needed. Designed of the Lord. Planted by the Lord. Planted by the Lord and designed by the Lord. For this time, for this era, your gifting. Thank you, Jesus, for your healing. Thank you, the Lord's healing some of you right now. I just right now, the healing power of the Lord is there for that. I know sometimes we think healing is just a physical thing, but He's healing a wrong way to think. Lord, thank you, Lord. You're just rooting out jealousy, and you're really you're just rooting out negative comparison. And Lord, the beauty of your gifting is resting upon us right now. An attitude of prayer. Let's stand together. So we continue to worship the Lord. Um, the table of the Lord. We're going to open that both here in the front and in the back. There's communion tables. You can take those as an individual or with a family member or friend if you'd like. And um, we're going to respond to him today. Uh, if you're on a prayer team, I want you to join me down here. And if you need special prayer, we'll be available to pray with, pray with you. The table of the Lord's now open. Let's worship this God who does all things. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church in Indian Lake. 